Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Now, please stand, remove your hats, and honor America with the presentation of our nation's flag. Performing today's national anthem is Wilbur Pauley. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light What so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight For the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, and the rockets red and glare, the bombs bursting in over the night that our flag was still. Spangled a banner yet wave for the land of the free. And the The Pittsburgh. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast, 25 September, Year of Our Lord 2017, and I couldn't wait till tomorrow to do this. This will not be a glitchy show. This will be a very angry show for me. Um, for those that are new, once again, I am an American vet. I fought in Afghanistan. I gave 20 years of my life to service to this country. Within that is a lot of sacrifice. You civilians will never know, not only personally regards to mental and physical state, but also for my family. And of course, this weekend, we decided to play Fuck, Fuck, Goose with the National Anthem. So we're going to cover that today. And the back end is just going to be a brief, well, not brief, uh, brief me talking Long listening for those that care to for the MRC awards, uh, which we've done every day or every year on the podcast because my glitch is media bias. So as you heard, that is what happened across the United States in multiple areas. Three teams, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Seattle Seahawks, Tennessee Titans chose not to come on the field. As we will see by the end of this, not as, not only is this entire protest predicated on lies and faulty information fed to you by a political machine that not only hates America, but has a direct agenda to have America be what America's never been, that being a nanny state run by socialists. Not only is it pushed by organizations that no longer can cling to their racial divisive 
comments once we elected a black president twice. Not only is this predicated on a black president who pushed this from the bully pulpit, this is also a way for people to challenge the authority of the United States POTUS and a generational thing that is actually teaching kids considering 8th graders took a knee just two weeks ago to not trust anybody we will also find that they are suffering for this Not only in ratings, but more people like me who are disgusted with it and turning off the channel, burning their garb, and doing counter-protest to the tomfoolery that is happening in our country. It is very hard to find anything that's not pro-disrespect the flag. It's very hard to find anything that does not say, hey, if you don't understand the reason for this, it has nothing to do with soldiers and the flag, it has to do with social injustice. It's just not in print, because the media is all for this. They hate Trump. Thus, this fits in their wheelhouse. And their wheelhouse is saying over and over and over again, anything negative on Trump is something we're going to lead with. We're going to print and print. We're going to press it. People who don't even give a fuck about football and don't watch football because they're soccer fans are coming to the plate to tell you what you need to think about football. So we'll start the New York Times, Neil Lock Arms and Solidarity. NFL players across the country demonstrated during the national anthem on Sunday in show of solidarity against President Trump, who scolded the league and players on Twitter this weekend. To the president, I would be a hypocrite if I did not criticize the fact that he never should have said this. This is the exact same thing that Obama did for eight years. He sat on the bully pulpit. He told you everything you believed in is wrong. That if you do not believe in whatever he was selling to his base... You were a racist, a sexist, a xenophobe, a homophobe, a transphobe, and other phobes to be named in the future. He shouldn't have done this. But the NFL's reaction to what he did was way worse than Trump saying the words that he said. Yes, you shouldn't call people son of a bitch. The problem with the media and all of you out there that are on the resistance, you don't understand. That's what majority of us think every time we see somebody disrespecting the flag. This is what we think every time somebody burns a flag, steps on a flag, spits on a flag, and says the American flag, the national anthem, at all is white supremacy. We say you're a son of a bitch. So yes, this was beneath the office of POTUS. But what the NFL did not only alienated millions of vets, It also pushed away its main consumer. If you have a belief that you're ever going to hoodwink all these liberals who spend their days watching lacrosse and soccer to watch football, you're smoking crack. I understand the demographic's not yours, thus you lean towards it. I understand the machine of progressivism is very dangerous and it can hurt you with sponsors, but your ratings are hurting, my friends. Alienating the only people that are going to watch your show that has been totally degraded with your collective bargaining agreement where they don't even spit on each other anymore. Thus, they get hurt constantly. And games that look like junior varsity high school football until the end of the season. Because once again, refer back to we don't hit anybody anymore. We're not prepared to play football. But that's what they did. 
With the support of owners, some of whom joined their teams on the field, dozens of the players knelt, silent in protest, while Tom Brady and others opted to stop, lock arms. Seattle Seahawks, Titans, Chicago Bears did the right thing, but the Pittsburgh Steelers didn't in that venue. <clears throat> After the demonstrators, twit, Trump took to Twitter and saying that kneeling was not acceptable. Raiders and Redskins put a nightcap on the day of protest. The entire offensive line of the Oakland Raiders, the only line the NFL made up entirely African Americans, were seated. Many fans of FedEx Field could be heard booing the players while they sat. Michael Tafoya, Michelle Tafoya, I'm sorry, reported that the Raiders coach Jack Del Rio told her the Raiders players would have preferred to stay in the locker room, but because of league rules during primetime, they couldn't. They get a delay of game penalty. Players tried to explain why they did this. Tight end Julius Thomas of Miami Dolphins, who previously had stood during the anthem, said now, asked what changed it. To have the president trying to intimidate people, I wanted to send a message that I don't condone that. I'm not okay with somebody trying to prevent someone from standing up for what they think is important. Sean McCoy, a running back for the Buffalo Bills. I can't stand and support something where our leaders of this country is just acting like a jerk. You know, any angry and upset about NFL players protesting in a peaceful manner. Drew Brees, I disagree with how the president said and how he said it. I think it's very unbecoming the president of the United States and obviously disappoint a lot of people. But as it pertains to the national anthem, I'll always feel that if you are American that the national anthem is an opportunity for all of us to stand up together. Titans, Seahawks, as a team, we have decided we will not participate in the national anthem. We will not stand for the injustices that plague people of color in this country. That is an entire lie. It's predicated on faulty information. We'll get to it. Respectfully, the players of Seahawks, respectfully, the players of Seahawks is a complete, complete absence of players made for a bizarre scene where team mascots and game officials were the only thing on the goddamn field. They felt proud about it. Beckham raised a fist, a la Black Power, because somehow we're in Jim fucking Crow. Rookie catch catcher for the Athletics did it now. First one to do it in the baseball, professional baseball, so to speak. Don't know of any others. Global Citizen Festival, New York City. The singer Stevie Wonder kneeled and did it. On Sunday morning, the Stanley Cup champion said they're going Whereas they were, Trump disinvited Steve Curry and company because they weren't coming. And that was played all weekend like a six-year-old. And WNBA had it. They stay in their dressing room. NASCAR said, anybody does it, you're fired. Looks like I'm going to be watching more NASCAR. They didn't ask fans. Perhaps surprising, not at all. Sides of the debate still had adherence. Even the dozens of prominent athletes and many NFL owners, deeply conservative group of businesses, seem to agree on some basic things. Greg Zacharias, 61 from White Plains, has been a Jets season ticket holder since 78. He was in the parking lot. I'm a Republican who voted for him, but I think this is a battle he doesn't need to go to. Ass is pinned in the protest. I don't support it. I understand what they're trying to get at. I just think there are better ways of expressing yourself. I feel like if the media didn't make a big deal of it, I remember that for years and years they didn't show the anthem, and now all of a sudden this is an issue. I feel like if you just let these guys do their thing, we could all move on. I agree. I totally agree. Twin brothers Alex and Jackson said that's all for it because their parents are liberals and have brainwashed them. Under a subheading, not everyone supports the anthem. The reaction to the NFL anthem demonstration was sharply divided on social media. Many fans taking the players to task for the perspective perceived disrespect of the flag. See, it's perceived disrespect on the New York Times. The rest of the media will be the same. Others agreed with it. Stephen King scolded him. 
Texas, uh, Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee scolded him. And that's how it reads. The reality is Stephen King, pro players have the right to freedom of speech, owners do too, and should exercise it by firing offending players. He did that by retweeting, breaking over a dozen NFL players, kneel during anthem at Jaguar Raven game in London. At least a dozen NFL players kneel during the anthem between the London game today between the Baltimore Ravens and Jacksonville Jaguars. That's from Gateway Pundit. You saw it all over the place. What they didn't say was these motherfuckers kneeled for the national anthem of the United States of America, but stood for God save the Queen. This once again shows the predication and faulty information because these morons are born to be racist by a system that tells them to be racist, that being Democrats, that all whites are bad and America's evil, and they don't know that Britain was a key player in the slave trade. But oh, go ahead. God save the Queen. Why don't you stay there and play football? Idiot Eric Holder ran his cock trap, but he's part of the problem. He promoted BLM. Senator Paul Bailey from Tennessee says, I'm a ticket holder for the Titans. If their players start this crap, I'm done. Clay Travis, a Fox Sports contributor, tweeted, Sports media outraged over Trump's NFL anthem comment. The vast majority of fans agree. Huge disconnect in sports between fans and the media. You will not find a lot of that as we go through this. A great treat, tweet to the back of that. Our anthem has always been a sign of respect and pride for freedom. Interesting that privileged millionaires take the knee to disrespect it. Tom Brady stood with the Patriots arm in arm. That was the other way people protested. National anthem singers take a knee. One was Rico Lavelle, who sang the Detroit Lions. And Packer game. As we said, Steelers did not participate. They're covering it in more because it's so important. Rex Ryan was quoted saying, I regret supporting Trump. They break down the Jaguars because the con was a big supporter. But in no time do they talk about them standing for God save the Queen. Because let's not, let's not give the facts, New York Times. They got Robert Kraft to condemn Trump. Trump. They went through a bunch of owners who all said shit. And the only owner that has any balls out there is of all people, Jerry Jones. Who said, if you don't stand, you're fired. Maybe I'll become a Cowboy fan. Von Miller. Me and my teammates, we felt like we felt like the President Trump's speech was an assault on our most cherished right, freedom of speech. So collectively, we felt like we had to do something for this game. I have a huge respect for the military and for the protective services. I've been to Afghanistan, been real-life superheroes. It wasn't any disrespect to them. It was for my brothers that have been attacked and things that they do during the game. And I felt like I was joining them. Richard Sherman, you know what it was. Don't need to read it. We already read Drew Brees. It's from a different article. Chris Long get, kind of gets conflated because there's things that guys are protesting about, but when the president calls us out, we're all of a sudden kind of like protesting the right to protest, which you wouldn't think would have to do in this country. It's a wonderful, wonderful country with things that we can improve, and that's all those guys are trying to do. No, it's not. Maybe you should lead another country because of this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, you're a dick. Used to like you. 
don't. Mike Evans dogged him. Deshaun Kaiser, Cleveland Browns, Mark Ingram, all African Americans, because we're going to get to a point about all this. It's kind of hard not to just interview African Americans in the NFL, which makes this whole thing just a fucking farce. Philip Dorsett from the Patriots, AJ Bayou went into it. Derek Wolf, Kevin King, a rookie. From the Packers. That was a tough decision. It was a tough decision. I haven't sat before, and it's something that's been on my mind, but I didn't want to do it for different reasons. When I heard some comments that were made recently that put it over the top, I don't know if it's something that I plan to do every game because my grandpa is a veteran, and I have respect for that, but in terms of what's gone on recently, I thought today was a great opportunity to show my support of what I thought was right because the Packers drafted two tight ends, Bennett and what's-his-name, and they both were already protesting. Tennessee Titan wide receiver, he talked it. Alex Smith did it in a less likely, more perfect way without saying terrible things about everybody. Kalisha Osama, Danny Trevoff, Demar Dotson was an interesting take. I voted for Trump, but through the last couple of months, man, I kind of wish I didn't vote for him. It's definitely not a good, doing a good job holding down the office of president. He's doing a really poor job. Someone like he's going out of the way to create enemies. I don't know what he's doing, what his purpose is, what his plan is, but he's not a good president right now. That's one of the biggest things, the nonstop tweeting. He needs to worry about some of the problems in the country. He's a poor president right now. I got the point. He doesn't like prep. Jadavian Clowney. Guys want to do something. At first, we're going to do anything. Previously, we've been all guys doing it since last season. We were like, we don't want to get involved with that. But after listening to them talk the night, a lot of guys came up like, man, we need to do something as a team. So we decided to do that. And they linked arms. Houston Oilers are the only team in the NFL with everybody standing. Eric Ebron dogged them. Adam Thienen dogged them. Malcolm Jenkins. Aaron Rodgers. On this team, we're going to keep choosing love over hate, unity over division, and that's what it was to us. And talking last night and this morning, a few of us who linked arms just wanted to show a united front. I know personally on my Twitter and social media was receiving a lot of positivity, but a lot of hatred as well, which is interesting. I know it's probably one-tenth or one-one-hundredth maybe with some of my black teammates who have been using their platform to try to make a difference, but this was about unity and respect our men and women in uniform, respect our troops. We love them. We appreciate what they do. Today was about using our platform to promote love and unity and acceptance and togetherness, and I hope we did that. I won't throw his jersey out. Donald Penn, Thomas Moorhead, they went around the league is what I'm trying to get across. They got everybody they can get on record to dog Trump. And then was the reaction. Very limited and muted coverage of all this. This is from the Boston Globe. Patriot players made their statement. The many fans did so in response before Sunday's Texan-Patriot matchup at Foxborough. About 20 Patriots players, according to ESPN, who went around and just counted it. They didn't count the people. And as you'll see, we're going to do a whole homage to somebody who decided to buck the trend. There's no homages to him. They didn't count how many people stood with their hand over their heart. They wanted the liberal angle. But back to the article. Took a knee during the National Anthem. The first time anyone on the team had joined the growing protest. And return a loud chorus of boos was heard. Sandwiching the singing of the Star Spangled Banner. According to Boston Herald, there were shouts of stand up as they knelt. In Nashville, some... Voice singer decided to take the knee 
while the Titans stayed in the locker room and Mariota tried to explain it very poorly because I don't think he wanted to do it. He just did it. And it didn't go too well. Her Twitter feed, I won't read. It was bad. So ABC Politics, AP, MSDNC, ESPN, the entire liberal conglomerate that is our media. Entire Pittsburgh Steeler team does not participate in National Anthem Ceremony prior to today's game. That stood for a very long time. Stephen Miller said false. Florida fool, still lying I see. Because the reality is, four combat tour, ranger, airborne type, one each, Alejandro Villanueva said, fuck you guys, and stood at the end of the tunnel with his hand over the heart, singing the national anthem. There were Twitter videos of it. Very little coverage by NFL Films or anybody else. Stand for the anthem. Pittsburgh Steeler offensive lineman Alejandro Villanueva was the only player on his team to stand for the National Anthem Sunday. The rest of the team remained in the locker room as part of a league-wide protest. They break down that he was an Army Ranger. He's got a bronze star with V. Many NFL fans were moved by Villanueva's decision to stand for the anthem. And now sales of his jersey have skyrocketed on Fanatics. His number 78 jersey is now a top seller alongside superstars Tom Brady, Rodgers, and Beckham. And by 11.36 today, Steeler lineman Alejandro Villanueva is the best-selling NFL jersey and t-shirt over the last 24 hours, according to Fanatics. As all of you know, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. And for the first time in my life, other than buying a Mariota jersey that hangs in the closet just to get him some cash, because he is our Oregon Duck idol, I bought one of those t-shirts. I will wear his t-shirt in public, and it'll be the first time in my life since I was six years old when I was a, you know bandwagon Miami Dolphin fan because the Dolphins were really good back then and had my Miami Dolphin football jacket wouldn't wear another team other than the Green Bay Packers the articles go USA Today and this is how all of the mainstream media including ESPN the liberal Malat freaking giant that liberals use to say sports now or cover sports is what I meant to say Steelers don't participate in national anthem with exception of ex-ranger Alejandro Villanueva Pittsburgh Steelers stay off field during anthem crowd boos them when they return only one player broke with the team and stood on the sidelines Pittsburgh Steelers chose not to enter the field during the playing, blah, 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 eliciting boos from the crowd at Soldier Field. Very interesting they would do that at Soldier's Field. Steeler coach Mike Tomlin announced ahead of the game that the Bears, that the team would not appear on the field. Tomlin made clear that gesture would not be protest a particular political cause, but to remove ourselves from the circumstances because of Trump or something. 
he came out with his helmet off and did it. When the anthem ended and the rest of the team ran out of the field, many in Chicago crowd jeered them. They huddled up during the warm-up part of the game against Chicago Bears, took pictures, and the media took pictures of them walking back in the locker room because it was just great. Fuck America. Fuck the flag. Fuck Trump. Many Steeler fans registered the dissatisfaction with the team's action on social media. Nick Chapman, huge Steeler fan, but the amount of disrespect for your country today was appalling. I will not be watching the game. God bless America. Down the rabbit hole, as part of a four-generation military family, I will always stand with the country over a sports team. Was a diehard Steeler fan, no longer. Jordan DeMarco, Steelers going to lose because they didn't go out. Others praise Villanueva. Huge shout-out to Alejandro Villanueva, the only player that truly honors that freedom was at cost. Another one, Joseph Kant Hings. I highly respect, I highly respect Alejandro for representing the Steelers and what to do for the national anthem. His service is also appreciated. Others, cause this is the USA Today, I think this is a powerful message by the Steelers. Thank you, Steelers. Take a stand. All African Americans. Yeah. Yeah. They, they think that's great. LA Times. As his teammates stay in the locker room, former Ranger Alejandro Villanueva stood outside. They break it down a little bit, and they say that he's played 16 games. But why would he do that? They tried to do him, you know, interview him, but he was not there because he went away because he ends up getting in trouble. Asked what played in Villanueva's leaving the tunnel defensive end, Cam Hayward said, I don't want to go into that, but we support our guy. Al, he feels he had to do it. This guy served our country and we thank him for it. James Harrison, though, you can expect what he said. We thought we were all in attention with the same agreement, obviously, but I guess we weren't. In the past, Villanueva has said he aligned with player frustration over racial injustice, but the sacrifice of the Millie is too great to minimize the anthem. Teammates widely respect Villanueva for serving the country. Al's unique circumstance what he's been through, some of the things he's talked about before. Guard David DeCastro said of him, I've got a lot of respect for Al. I wish there was a different way to do this thing. we got some people who look at the national anthem as patriotism, soldiers, and that stuff. What it means, and obviously people are upset, and I understand that. I just with both sides understand they want the right thing, but doing it through the national anthem, I wish there was a different way. And then Tomlin... He was asked three questions on why his team got beat by the fucking Bears and a million on this because this is more important to the liberal media. Like I said, I was looking for 100% participation when we're going to be respectful of our football team. Tom told the media prior to kickoff Sunday that Steelers had blah, 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 blah. Many of them felt like something needed to be done. I asked those guys to discuss it. Whatever they discussed, that we have 100% participation and we do nothing. They discussed it for an appropriate length of time, and they couldn't come to an understanding, so they chose to remove themselves from it. They were not going to be disrespectful to the anthem, so they chose not to participate. But at the same time, many of them were not going to accept the words of the president. We're not politicians. We're coaches and professional athletes. If those of us are individuals choose to participate in politics in some way, I'm going to be supportive of that. But when it comes out of the locker room, we come out of the locker room to play football games. 
We thought we're all in tension with the great same agreement, obviously, but I guess we weren't, James Harrison. Because they just couldn't say that once. They had to say it three or four times. Yeah. Villanueva was previously spoken out about Colin Kaepernick, saying his actions may send the wrong message. I don't know the most effective way is to sit down during a national anthem with a country that's providing you freedom, providing you $16 million a year, when there are black minorities that are dying in Iraq and, Iraq and Afghanistan for less than $20,000 a year. He said that in 2016. He said, I'll be the first one to hold hands with Colin and do something about the way minorities are being treated in the United States, the injustices happening with police brutality, the justice system, inequality, and pay. You can't do it by looking away from people that are trying to protect our freedom and our country. Only one other person, Derek Wolf, for the Broncos said, I stand because I respect the men who died in real battles, so I have the freedom to battle on the field. But everyone these days likes to find a reason to protest, and that's their right. John Hayward, who tweeted to this piece of shit, Imagine hopping in a time machine and explaining to your grandparents that military vets who stood for the anthem is the one in trouble. Think about that for a second. Because I wanted to hammer home. It was more brave for Villanueva to stand for the national anthem than for one of these motherfuckers to protest the National Anthem. In our world of fucking sheep who research nothing and go with whatever's fed to them by the DNC mouthpiece, which is the media who eats this shit up. They think disrespecting the flag is heroism. They think fighting for the nation's wars is for low skill set. That's what they believe. That's why you don't see any harrowing articles about the quadra-fucking-pelagics from these wars. That's why all you hear about is the bravery of protesters. And you never see a piece on MSDNC, CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, PBS. On soldiers still fighting the fight. This is bravery, my friends. The guy who said, fuck you with your protest. I'm going to respect the flag. That's bravery. But they're not going to talk about that. I sat through six hours of ESPN coverage where they let people come on all day and say, if you don't believe this shit, you're a fucking racist. If you don't believe that cops are getting in their patrol cars every night and going out and killing black people, you're a fucking racist. Yeah, that's what they said. The tweets on this. I'm a lifelong fan of the Steelers. I'm 51 longer. I will always choose my country over a game. Alejandro Villanueva is a true man. 
Another one. So the guy who fought for the country doesn't have the right for free expression. These guys just don't get it. Another one. This is when you disobey the coach. It's a game, not a fucking BLM rally. The Bronze Star says it all. This debate is a waste of time. Men playing a kid's game in a funny uniform and we act like it's meaningful. Unlike pro bowling, which was Greg Gutfeld who went through a whole thing saying you might as well watch bowling. At least there, there's no liberal fucking diatribe. So you know the media got on it. Chris Saliza, the U.S. is literally premised on the right of people freely express their beliefs without fear of reprisal. It's not about reprisal. It's about social norms. If this was such a fucking issue, why didn't we start doing this during 2008 there, fucking Chia Pet? Why wasn't the media speaking about cops getting in the car and chasing down black guys? Let's go lynch them, Jed! It only became an issue... When the president needed to rally for the midterm and he stood on a stage and told people to go out in a fucking house coat and slippers and protest. There begets BLM. There begets the media going, oh yeah, let's get on that. Mm -hmm. We won't report the yanking white people out of the car and beating the fuck out of them. We won't report that they're saying, kill them and fry them like bacon. Pigs in the blanket, fry them like bacon. We'll omit that. Don't want that to get out. They're peaceful protesters. Which begot, if you criticize BLM, you're the racist. But now, we all just gotta go, the national anthem, the flag, everything's motherfucking racist under Trump. And the true hero is not the guy that stood at the end of the tunnel respecting the flag, that he fucking fought for. No. It's the fucking thugs sitting on the bench saying America's fucked up. Okay. I got it. James Tarantano said it much more eloquently without the F-bomb. CNN reserves the right to publish the identity should anything change. Yeah, everybody's got the right of free expression except for the motherfucker you just doxed. You just docked somebody over a fucking meme. Gotcha, CNN. And then, of course, the liberal sites decided to sweep this all up for Tony to talk about. Bette Midler, the truth that Trump will not acknowledge is that take a knee is not about disrespect to the flag. It's about protesting police brutality. I'm watching football today out of respect for all these players. Good for you, Kaepernick 7, for starting a movement. Black Lives Matter. Alyssa Milano. Sorry to bug you, but this is a big deal. I don't want you to miss a moment of human protesting you. Not one moment. That was to the POTUS. Breaking Jaguars owner has taken a knee in solidarity with his team. Once again, omitting that they stood for God save the fucking queen. But not the national anthem. That once again shows Alyssa Milano doesn't know that British people were part of slavery. Oh, fuck. I mean, let's not fucking research anything. If the ratings are down, Trump will use it in solidarity with Take the Knee in NFL. Let's watch as much football as humanly possible. She's calling for a football watch. Then she had the balls to type this. This sums up all of this. 
This sums up the media. This sums up the fucking wealthy little brats who say they've been held down their whole life. The play of the game who happen to be African American. I have no politics. I just want my babies to grow up in a world that does the right thing for the right reasons. That's what she typed. That sums up all of them. They truly are that butt blind that they don't understand how fucking biased they are because they have Trump derangement syndrome. It's worse than Obama derangement. It's worse than Bush derangement. It is a new level of anything goes. Except protesting a gay flag. Oh, you protest that shit. You're a transphobe. You're a homophobe. Joy Reid, a lot of people are mad at Colin Kaepernick, will be kneeling in church today. Because you got you can't finish one of these uh, dogging Christians. Even though while all this was going on, a Sudanese shooter from Nashville, who the mayor who's a Democrat who was on Hillary's campaign wants to turn into a sanctuary city, went out and motherfucking killed white people. That made it on CNN for 30 minutes. MSNBC for 15. They went back up to lock up San Quentin. Nobody's talking about that today. He had a fucking green card. He was just placed on a no travel list. A travel ban list. He went into a white's church and he killed a lady in the parking lot wounding six other people. Yeah. Let's bash Christians. Joy Reid, I'm taking away the whole Hillary Shill, race baiter, whatever the fuck you use. You're just a fucking racist. You're an unequivocal racist. You and David Duke should go fuck each other and make little racist babies, because that's what you are. It'll yin and yang out a kid that won't be deranged. And as racist as you are. Boon Attic Rex. It's downright hilarious. The leftists at least think of us as simpletons who are of singular mindset. Never fails to amuse me. Neil deGrasse Tyson, who knows absolutely dick about football. In the Game of Thrones universe, to bend the knee represents the very highest form of respect and loyalty. Oil Guns America said you get jailed or executed in GOT universe for not doing it, you fucking peanut. Then BLM, Planned Parenthood, the world start taking Eugene Jew, MD. I'm an Asian American doctor and today I take the knee to fight white supremacy. He's a major buyer of baby parts for STEM Express. Blue check Democrat journalist like the tweet. Of a guy who goes out and finds new fenders, steering wheels, and dashboard gauges that are human tissue. You fucking people are sick. Olivia Wilde, the sports community is brave and serious about taking risks today to defend essential American values. We should all be so bold. TCC Grouchy. Brave like risking their lives or brave like not caring about the people who make them millionaires. Inquiring veterans wonder. She was one of about 10,000. 
They're the brave ones. Not the soldiers, not Villanueva. He's not brave. No, 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 no. It's the person saying, fry them like bacon. Jamelia Betta, NFL stands for no fans left. Ben Shapiro, if you kneel because you're showing Trump, you're helping him. The flag isn't Trump, and he wants to identify with that symbol, you morons. Yeah, they didn't think it through. Liz Wheeler, don't pretend. Take the knee is about freedom of speech. Players are fine for dancing in the end zone. The NFL is choosing to be political. Which lets me segue straight in. Excessive celebrations are fine. Wearing uniform uh, deficiencies are fine. Or, or different shoes. Other colors. Remember, this is the same league who didn't let people wear 9-11 clothing. Shoes in honor of 9-11 for New York Giants were no goat. But you could protest the flag. More to that in the future. Paul Joseph Watson, I used to be a cliche to say that the left hated America, but they now seem intent on proving it with every action. To the singer who decided to take a knee in Nashville. While the Titan football team in Nashville decided that they weren't, they were too good to come out and look at the American flag and the national anthem. That was their protest. Soon to be overturned. But what I'm reading on local media. Megan Lindsay was her name. As a military widow, you kneeling at the end of national anthem was a total slap in my face and all those who died defending our country. I concur. She is so pathetic, disrespectful, anti-American, she won't be singing that song anytime soon, was another tweeter. Carrie America retweeted Def Penn Sports. Country singer Megan Lindsay trying to score points to the left by taking a knee after singing National Anthem. Kaya, verified account. Seeing you live in Nashville, maybe worrying about the church shooting over millionaires taking a knee. Shame on you. She's another country music singer. The two proud Americans have the support of those who deserve it, and it's not Megan Lindsay, another bandwagon wannabe. Rose Taylor, attention Megan Lindsay, decided to take the knee while singing her anthem. Let's make her famous. Paul Potson, most of the Raiders kneeling during anthem, a few Redskins on our knee, most locking arms standing, many fans booing, just an odd scene. To the blue check media and media reactions and articles, Brian Seltzer, NFL just aired this unity ad to Sunday night football. It was created for the Super Bowl, but the league decided to repurpose it today. This is what it said. Inside these lines, we don't have to come from the same place and help each other reach the same destination. Inside these lines, we may have our differences, but recognize there's more that unites us. Inside these lines, it's a game of inches, and there's no such thing as an easy yard when you're fighting to move forward. Inside these lines, we're not only defined by our victories, but by the way we handle our defeats. Inside these lines, we can bring out the best in each other and live united inside these lines. I don't know, NFL, maybe inside these lines you should put out a quality football game and stop protesting. Large article take, carried by a lot of conservative about how AP totally ass-fucked 
the Villanueva story. How the AP refused to cover no players are kneeling to the British National Anthem. Large article. Large article. And that article continues to go on how this man earned the Bronze Star with V. Just like I did. And it's not something you get out of a Cracker Jack box. And serve four terms. Media coverage of Trump's sports remark, biased, baseless, and off-topic. Stephen Curry, the Golden Warriors, they talk about that and how awesome it is. Baron Davis, you're a clown, Donald Trump, and you dumbass fired at Stephen Curry for president. Bruce Maxwell became the first baseball player to kneel for the athletics. Adam Kilgore and Abby Phillips of WAPO, President Trump turned professional sports into political battleground Friday night and Saturday, directing full-throated ire towards African-American athletes who have spoken out against him and prompting a sharp rebuttal for the National Football League and several prominent sports figures, including the first major league baseball player kneeled during the National Anthem. Trump ensnared and agitated the most powerful sports league in North America and angered NBA stars Stephen Curry and LeBron James. His comments set the stage for potential mass protests Sunday along NFL sidelines. In the Post article, Michael Eric Dyson, a fucking outright racist, this is the biggest white guy in the world trying to take on black America in total. Christine Brennan, USA Today, by unleashing his own despicable brand of fire and fury against the National Football League and the First Amendment rights of its players Friday night, President Donald Trump exhibited his failure to grasp the lesson every schoolyard bully learned long ago. Don't pick on the football players. Yeah. They then took to task anybody that sponsored Trump. All the pro, you know, you never dox people that funnel money to Hillary. You dox anybody who gave to Trump. Then they gave passes on vulgarity. LeBron James, you bum. Or Steve Curry already said he ain't going, so therefore ain't no invite. Going to White House was a great honor until you showed up. The Sean McCoy, it's really sad, man. Our president's an asshole. Another one. Yeah, fuck this guy. Washington Post brought back the birtherism. Chris Saliza. The president appeared to be referring to former San Francisco 49er quarterback Colin Kaepernick, who last year began kneeling during national anthem draw attention to unjustified killing of black men by law enforcement. USA Today's Brennan worship at the altar St. Colin II. Let it be noted that Trump mustered more anger Friday over Kaepernick's personal decision not to stand than white supremacists. And all of them pushed this line. It's not about national anthem or the sacrifices made by a veteran. This article asks, Let's stream media and some of the NFL protesters insist that they're not dishonoring veterans or national anthem. But if it's not about the national anthem or the sacrifices made by veteran, then why do these protests happen during the national anthem? That's my question. Nobody can ask me, answer me that. CNN was up in arms all weekend. Another Saliza. 
segment. The thing is, we don't live in a colorblind society. Slavery sits at the founding roots of America. The goal of racial equality remains a goal, not an achievement. To pretend otherwise, to willfully blind yourself to hundreds of years of history. Even more context darkens the picture for Trump. He's played at racial-coded language throughout this presidential campaign. He's also displayed a stunning, simplistic view of black community. Stunningly simplistic. Okay. Okay. I got it. So here's the audio media. As we go out to a music break, and I'm going to close this segment on the other side, the media, the, the music break, with what you will never hear of what fans are actually doing about this. There is an unmistakable racial element to this story. And that's why I come down on the side of covering this and covering it big, even if it is a distraction, so to speak. Because who Trump chooses to criticize tells us a lot. This story is ultimately about patriotism. It's about the right to protest. It's about what it means to be an American. And the subtext, the the awkward subtext, is a question we asked a few weeks ago on this program. Is President Trump a racist? Is he making racist appeals to his supporters? If he's not racist, why do so many Americans believe that he is? And how is that going to affect the rest of his presidency? All of this is playing out against a backdrop of a new ABC News Washington Post poll showing 66% of Americans say that Donald Trump has done more to divide this country. Yet that poll also showing Trump's approval ratings have gone up slightly. Ryan, it's hard to ignore the racial component here. The president uh, went on this uh, went on this uh, jag on Friday night in front of a largely white audience. Uh, What's your view on the racial component here? Well, I think there's a lot of talk now about coded language. You think about what he said, disrespecting our heritage, we, to that largely white crowd. I think there's a lot of folks out there that look at this and say, what are you really trying to say here? The White House likes this fight. They think this is ultimately good politics for them. They think that they're on the right side of this and that somehow it'll be the the left uh, or some of these players that overstep. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. This feels this feels like a culture war uh, that's exploding right before our eyes. And he's really, Chuck, this week leaned into this culture war. And look, all these people are black, and all these black people are rich, and all these are black people who are rich who've become successful and they don't owe Donald Trump anything. And those three things alone will usually make you the subject of his ire. But when they also step up and they talk about the problems that he is creating for this country, Colin Kaepernick was was taking a knee before Donald Trump got elected. Stephen Curry recognizes that going into the White House validates and normalizes this president. And Jamel Hill is just being excellent as she usually is and telling the country what we already know is that our president sympathizes with white supremacists. He's going to have a problem with that. Uh, and at the end of the day, this is a president who is incapable of functioning under criticism, especially from people of color. Yeah, he's he went through this conundrum that played out right on stage. He he has Luther Strange, who he is supporting, but in his mind, if this guy loses. 
loses, I don't want to be connected to a loser <laughs> because he, it's all about him. And then he's probably thinking, well, why didn't I support the bigot? You know, <laughs> because he's like, you know, Gorka, the neo-Nazi supports the other guy and yeah. uh, Roy Moore. And so, and you have the Bannon. white supremacist, Bannon, yeah. who supports Roy Moore. So I think there was like this little thing that you saw play out right on stage. And then the, the continuing kind of uh, the drama that he continues to push, which is he supports white supremacy clearly because he sees all of those folks who were at Charlottesville as fine people. Mm -hmm. But if you take a knee and have a peaceful protest, eh, you need to get fired and get thrown off the field. And lastly, one of the things that I thought was, gosh, can you imagine all the parents across the country that have to ban their kids from watching the president of the United States speak because he says misogynistic, bigoted things? Yeah. I mean, it's just this is what we're, we're dealing with. I mean, networks are, are, are challenging themselves whether or not yeah. to bleep the yep. president of the United right. States' description of an American citizen. Right, because he made he gets out there and SOB is rolling yep. right off his tongue. I, I'm I'll, I'll say here. this, yeah. look, the, the choice between strange and more is like deciding between the Ku Klux and, and the Klan. Like, it's, they're both vastly conservative people who've been in favor of the Muslim ban, and that's why Donald Trump is playing both sides, because he's perfectly comfortable with those sorts of people. And I think what this speaks to, regardless who wins, is he ain't loyal. You cannot trust this president yeah. under any circumstances, and the Republicans know that, so getting him to go down there to vote for Luther Strange or support him, it sounds good in the short term, yeah. but you can't trust him long. I, we really do have to go, but I just have to let Kurt, just final word, Kurt, do you, do you agree with that? I mean, either way, Donald Trump, it, really quickly, final word to you. I think I think what he's doing here, it's the same thing he's doing with the Steph Curry thing. Steph Curry said he's not going to the White House. Trump then comes out and says, well, you're not invited anyway. Yeah. Well, you here can. in this case, he's seeing all these Trump versus Bannon headlines. He knows he's going to be on the losing side of it, so he's trying to hedge his bet and go, well, actually, if the other guy yeah. wins, I'm for it. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can't fire me, I quit, uh, right. is what he's trying to impart, I guess. Kareen and Kate will be back. This is a hell of a segment. On the U word, unity, uh, let me break a little bit of news here from the NFL. Uh, tonight, the network's going to broadcast uh, an ad I think we can put on screen. This is a one-minute ad that was produced for the Super Bowl. It's all about unity. Uh, this is an ad that, that you know was not going to be shown again, but the NFL's decided to go ahead and, and dust it off and air it during Sunday Night Football because they want to make a statement, uh, essentially a statement in response to President Trump. Without bringing up his name, uh, without sowing further divisions, uh, they want to have a message about unity, about the power of football to bring people together. Christine, what do you make of the NFL strategy here trying to tiptoe along a very complicated tightrope? Brian, if there's one group of people in this country who might have more of a megaphone than Donald Trump, it's probably the NFL. It's certainly at least on every Sunday, as you know, the line from the movie uh, Concussion. You know, they own a day of the week, and it, it, it would be amazing. But is it possible that the NFL and Roger Goodell has said, "Listen, we're going to kind of shoulder this. We're going to take this on and and try to move forward when you've got a president who is being so divisive, and is is, is his venom at that speech uh, is extraordinary, and bringing it all right not only into our culture and politics, but now into." Sports. Sports, that intersection we've talked about before, sports and yeah. culture. Well, the NFL is, seems very comfortable now moving into that intersection almost as a peacemaker mm -hmm. of some sort. At least that's what we're seeing with Roger Goodell's comments yesterday, which were very strong. The union as well was very strong. And now this. And I think it's a smart move because uh, the NFL has an incredible uh, power to reach people. And I think that uh, with, with Trump, Another interesting part about this, you know, the kneeling that's been going on and the divisive nature of you know, people obviously on both sides of that issue, even though Colin Kaepernick was very peaceful about it and giving a million dollars to charity while he's been mm -hmm. doing it. I'm, I'm wondering now if the, if the kneeling is really not more about, uh, is more about Trump 
an anti-Trump kneeling uh, than it is about those important issues of race that we've been seeing for over a year. So, so right. many twists and turns in this story. What's interesting is the president could have used this as a teachable moment to say, here's why I believe we should stand for the national anthem. Here's what I believe mm -hmm. it stands for. But he took a different tact. And it has, I mean, we, look, we saw what that was happening with just the um, fans yelling at each other. It, it, you know, there is something contagious about divisiveness. Yeah, and it plays in certain quarters. You stir people's emotions and resentments. That's actually a business plan in certain quarters of the Internet or, or cable television. It's a business plan, and it's the way um, President Trump, for better or worse, approached his campaign and approaches his presidency. To give him the extreme benefit of the doubt, extreme benefit of the doubt, you'd say he's insensitive mm -hmm. to the racial implications to make comments like this at a rally in Alabama. All right. He, he likes cheap applause lines, which has no football team. And he way. delivered them, has no football, unless you Pro count. football team. Yeah, they're they're rabid football fans right. down there. Um, that's to give him the extreme benefit of the doubt. But do you want a president of the United States who, even if you're giving him the benefit of that doubt, is so tone deaf to the racial implications of this? It's interesting because this morning, one of the things the president has written, he writes, the issue of kneeling has nothing to do with race. It's about respect for our country, flag and national anthem, NFL must respect this. Now, if you take your tack there and say giving him the extreme benefit of the doubt, maybe for him, the extreme benefit of the doubt, the issue of kneeling isn't about race. But for the players, especially the players initially to say mm -hmm. it's not about race, that's not true. Seventy percent of the players in the NFL, roughly, are African-American. Virtually every player who knelt in the initial stages of this was black. And the initial impetus from it or for it came from Colin Kaepernick. And it was about police brutality and mistreatment of African-Americans. You can't separate those two things. Now, if you want to make the point that the national anthem is about something more than uh, the nation's flaws and shortcomings, it's also about its ideals and that people can see some texture to what the national anthem means. And you might prefer that people protest or make their point outside of the national anthem. That's something that can be argued. But the idea that this doesn't have something to do with race is preposterous. Michael Steele, African-American, former head of the Republican National Committee, was unsparing in his remarks about what Trump had to say. Bob Kraft, who contributed to uh, the inaugural committee. You're not going to find many voices of support outside his base, his extreme.
poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. <clears throat> All right, and listening to playback, I'll try to take it down a notch, and I apologize. This stuff uh, <laughs> angers me. The uh, interlude there was the Kentucky Con- University of Kentucky Choir in a Hotel I saw that on social media a couple years back, brought tears to my eyes. It's something you're not going to find on the West Coast. And I hate to offend people by playing the national anthem for our music interlude, because I know it's so offensive and white supremacist. 2017 is the stupidest year ever. So the things you're never going to see, Louisiana restaurant shuts game off due to kneeling. Saints fan burned memorabilia because 10 players took a knee. Uh, to sit down, da, 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 da. let me get through the article and read it. Where it is. During the Saints game, blah, 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 blah. One Saints fan, Denise LaGrange Fox, said this was a very, very sad day for her as she threw her Saints memorabilia in a fire pit, doused the jersey, flags, banners, and signs in lighter fluid, then dropped a struck match on it. Her tweet, to the NFL and to you, Tom Benson, together you have ruined and taken the fun of sports. I'm calling for a burn of all Saints memorabilia. Please share this if you need to. Hashtag do it your own teen. I don't don't want to say it. NFL not for long. Boycott the NFL. Fox says she's no longer a Saints fan and that she's done with football. Anything that has to do with disrespecting the flag. I'm just totally disgusted. Screw you, NFL. Others simply said they weren't fans anymore. One man, Stephen Spell II, said the New Orleans Saints were disgraceful today for kneeling in to the National Anthem. They have won the game, but they lost the fans. Another one was Pat Pete Hestick for the Dolphins. It's a disgrace, unethical, it's disgusting, a man he said he agrees with Trump 150% that NFL owners should fire players and protest in the anthem. He pointed that out. If he decided to protest the job, he should probably get canned. And that's the point. In most jobs, you couldn't do this shit. And while you heard 200 people took a knee, 200 people took a knee, you didn't hear a lot of this because only Fox was carrying it. This anthem thing is a scam. This is not actually part of football. This was invented in 2009 as from the government paying the NFL to market military recruitment to get more people to go off and fight wars to die. This has nothing to do with NFL or American pastime or tradition. This is to get boys and girls to go fly overseas and go kill people. So that's Jesse Williams. He's the actor from Grey's Anatomy. He's also an activist, and he's talking about in 2009 the government 
teamed up with the military to start playing the national anthem, and all the players started coming onto the field because they used to be in the locker rooms before that. So, Pete, you served our military. We yeah, it's that, that, that pesky scam anthem that got me to sign on the dotted line and join <laughs> that military and go overseas and fight in Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, an actor like Jesse Williams and his comments are insignificant to the vast majority of Americans. And also the anchor there at MSNBC was like, mm, great point, excellent analysis. We should have you back to talk more about this subject. But I it, was, it went on for a minute wow. where he said, this anthem is a scam. This is all a ploy to get people to go fight and die right. because they're, they're worthless you know, scraps of, of people in this country who fight for a cause that's not worth fighting for. It was embarrassing. But you know where this whole thing is heading? They're going to stop playing the anthem before games. I guarantee it. No, I think you're right. It's like, maybe, maybe by the time the NBA season starts. Do you remember when the president said, you know, what's next? The Washington Monument on that aspect. What's next? The national anthem. Because you saw the Pittsburgh Steelers and a few teams say, we're just going to stay inside for the anthem. Right. Well, if that becomes the medium, then why not just remove it altogether or keep the teams inside altogether? It would be an amazing and unfortunate development. Oh, the fans but it's, it's what we're litigating right now, guys. It is. It's do we stand for the anthem or not? This is what. This is sure. why I love what President Trump said. Said. I don't care if he used a bad word or not. He's speaking for a lot of Americans that say, stand up. You play a game for a living. Get up and salute right. your flag. And you know a number of people did agree with the president because there was a lot of booing yesterday in certain cities when the players took a knee. You were outside of MetLife Stadium yes. uh, just across the river in New Jersey. Jets were playing the Dolphins yesterday. We went out to a tailgate to ask, let's ask the fans, what do they think? Because ultimately the president's saying, hey, if you don't like them not standing for the anthem, don't go to the game. We asked the fans who were going to the game yesterday. Take a listen. If you walk into this stadium today and a good number of Jet players decided to take a knee and protest the national anthem, how would you feel about that? I would be embarrassed. I am dead against that. I'm a veteran. So the Marine Corps years, and yeah, I'm dead, dead against that. It would be a disgrace. It's, it's unethical for them to do that. I'll still root for the Jets. I won't agree with what they do, but I'm still going to root for the Jets. I would be disappointed if they did that. I think a nonviolent protest is absolutely the way to go. Do you support what President Trump said when he said, hey, you know, if these owners, if these guys want to kneel for the anthem, then the owners should be firing these guys. He's fired. He's fired. Absolutely. I agree with it 150%. They're paying these guys to do a job. They're not supposed to be involved in politics. They're getting paid to do a job, and that's their job, is to play ball and do whatever the fans want them to do. President Trump maybe should get involved in the games and maybe take a hit and get a concussion and see what happens. So what would happen if you if you protested at your work site? What would happen to you? <laughs> I'd probably get canned. I would be fired. I don't think they should get fired over it. Does it affect how you see your team when you watch folks kneeling for the anthem? Uh, not at all, because I think that's separate from the game itself. It's a wrong avenue, because just protest is not the way to do it. You have to have an avenue to, to make it better. If they want to express themselves in that way, I think they have the right to, and I don't think they should be held accountable for anything. Is there a point at which, as a fan... You would step away from the team? Yes, I'm, I would. I'm sorry. It's disgusting. I have stopped watching a lot of sports and football because of what happened last year. I'm a Canadian, first of all, but I don't think that's... You have to respect the country you're in and the other people that are fighting for you. Why Why should you take a knee and I just don't get it? Yeah, Can yeah, Canadians out here rallying for the United States of America. Amen. Good Canadians love it. Oh, Thank you. Canada!
And ultimately, to a man and a woman, everyone said, wrong forum. If you have a grievance with this country, policing or racial profiling, take it somewhere else. Don't do it during our nation's anthem, which should be a symbol of what unites us, not what divides us. The president's uh, approach was to get people to stand up and stop doing that. The result is, because this is a team aspect, not only do they have more people kneeling, he has owners now down on the field, most of which voted for him, were donated to him. So the whole thing boomeranged. The plan did not work. Fair enough, but I think Villanueva, if you have one image that comes out of this, it's the one Army Ranger, three tours in Afghanistan, that says, Mike Tomlin, don't tell me i got to stand in the locker room. But I'm going to come out here, put my hand over my heart, and salute my country. Right. No, that, that is, that's the enduring symbol. That's an image, but it's not the only image. You've got corporations, you've got players who play a game for a living and make millions of dollars. I think most average Joes, the forgotten men and women who watch these sports and go to these games, say, they don't represent me. I appreciate they can catch a pass. But I don't appreciate they won't appreciate my country. Or Johnny Joey Jones, who served our country, lost his legs. And he said, I lost my legs so that other men could stand. But you have to understand this. There's a reason why they're out there. They're the most uniquely talented. That's not a favor to put them in the NFL. They are elite athletes. Of course. 5% of the people you see play on Saturdays uh, can't play, only can play on Sundays. So it's, you keep whittling down. That's a unique talent they have. I agree. It doesn't mean I want yeah, to see politics from them. Right. right. But I'm fine. But if the goal is to get them to stand up, Friday speech to just the opposite. Maybe, but every, it's a free country, and the president's entitled to his opinion, and he spoke for a lot of people. Sure. And the players have been standing for a year now. Yeah. And, and, you know, what the NFL has done essentially is just said, you can do whatever you want to, players. We're not going to stand in your way. It'll be interesting. Yeah, you didn't hear people peddling out that bullshit. He was an actor. I think he still is on freaking uh, Grey's Anatomy. And they truly believe that on the left. This is all propaganda. Because you shouldn't have propaganda. You should hate your country. Black people do. Why don't you? Oh, I know, because you're fucking racist. But they actually went out and talked to fans. Some you're not going to see on CNN, MSDNC, ABC, NBC. You won't see Chuck Todd talk to anybody. He said it during the election. We didn't get a good job of talking out to Red America. Nobody's getting in a car and coming out to ask you what you think about the Tennessee Titans, Seattle Seahawks, and the freaking Steelers. Not even stepping on the field for the National Anthem. Molly Hemingway wrote a good article on this. Five problems with the NFL's National Anthem protest. One, vague and unclear protest goals. One of the keys to good protests is their clear goal. The discussion on Sunday where any indication nobody in the entire clear what it was being protested when athletes kneeled during the National Anthem. CNN said yesterday display was opposition to Trump. CNN, kneeling, locked arms, raised fists. Today, NFL players showed unity and defiance of Trump. Of course they did. Los Angeles Time. The restless vortex of controversy that surrounds President Trump as players from London, New England to Carson knelt or linked arms Sunday while others played in the locker room during the National Anthem. Later, the story said... Protest drawing the National Anthem was meant to draw attention to racism and social injustice. The National Anthem protest began last year before Donald Trump was elected the first time when then-professional quarterback Dick Face did all his fucking shit. She breaks it down, da-da-da-da-da. As for the latter claim, Mary Catherine Hamm noted on CNN yesterday disapproval of Black Lives Matter has gone up from 20% to nearly 60 in August to a Harvard-Harris poll. 
Even in Kaepernick's lengthy press conference last year, it was a bit unclear what the goal of the protest action are or what it would take to declare victory and cease protesting. At the press conference, Kaepernick unfortunately wore a t-shirt of a photo of Fidel Castro on it. As the better half wrote last year, the biggest problem here is Kaepernick is seemingly unaware of Castro's legacy. Aside from Castro's dragooning and executing Christians and gays, Castro's record on racial injustice is silently not woke. And he breaks it down. He was a racist. In other Kaepernick fashion news, he wore fucking pigs on his socks. In any case, the goal was to end the police brutality against black men. The movement seemed to have gone off the rails a bit. Surely, lack of awareness is not the problem regarding police officers and the killing of unarmed black men. What is the protest movement accomplishing other than increasing opposition to Black Lives Matter and bothering fans? Number two, the NFL's utter inconsistency. Goodell and NFL owners were adamant this weekend that players had the right to express themselves without fear of any retaliation. This even though there are rules that the NFL could apply to stop protests of the National Anthem. There's rules. We'll get to it later. The NFL fines players for dancing in the end zone and threatened fines for 9-11 tributes. It shows leniency for other issues, such as domestic violence, but needs to show more consistency on on-field behavior. Three, the terms of debate couldn't be worse for the NFL. The media were thrilled by the protests on Sunday, which they perceived to be against Trump, but the way many Americans viewed these protests was not nearly so favorable as it was to people in New York and D.C. Ben Shapiro, if you think you're going to win hearts and minds by kneeling for the anthem because it hurts Trump, you're out of your goddamn mind. He didn't put goddamn on it. I did. Some of the national anthem protesters looked their knees, took to their knees for London on foreign soil. The players followed that by standing for God save the Queen, which I already pointed out. If you don't know what's problematic with a show of respect for a foreign country's anthem while protesting your own on foreign soil, I doubt it could be explained to you. For many people, in part because of the vagueness of the protest goals, these national anthems knees simply come off like people being jerks about the national anthem because they don't like Trump. Which it turns out is not a great way to get public on one side. Number four, the NFL can't afford the struggle. The NFL is facing a rating slide which must less fan engagement than they'd like. While many of the league's problems have nothing to do with politics, the anthem protests are causing more problems. According to a July CBS story, J.D. Power National Anthem protest that originated with Colin Kaepernick led a, led a list of reasons why it turned out the NFL get, while people turned off NFL games last year. The poll consisted of 9,200 people who attended football, basketball, hockey, hockey, and asked them if they tuned into fewer games. Per the poll, 26% of viewers cited the protest at the reason, as the reason. 24% said because league's off-field image issues, such as domestic abuse. Sean Davis, it was a lot, small thought, that's thus the pregnant pause. The NFL did more today to protest America than it ever done to protect protest domestic violence by its own players. Congrats, Roger. They also fa- face problems due to the Tribratic brain injuries or CTE. Number five, the media fans flame stupidity. 
Another problem for the NFL is the fighting between celebrity football players and celebrity presidents rating goals. So expect non-stop coverage that inflames the issue in a way that benefits the activists, extremes, and the president, but few other people. Journalists went to their favorite Trump line. Ryan Lizza, Trump has now attacked Jamil Hill, Colin Kaepernick, Steve Curry. All have something in common, but I can't quite, can't quite put it, my finger on it. Dude, they're black. Jake Tapper, laser focus on major problems with American people, black professional athletes with opinions. I nuked him for that. Brian Seltzer, furthering the thought experiment, imagine if a Democratic predict said a son of a bitch would be fined. Imagine if a Democratic president had the IRS audit as his political enemies, a lot of people said. David Hersani, is this real life? There's a long list of political dissenters last president went after, including nuns and politically incorrect YouTubers. But that's that's okay. Here's the stats, folks. NFL ratings became entangled in political battle with Trump. Viewership numbers can indicate views on political activism. They're already worried about their bottom line because once again, it's coming down 8% each weekend. Last night it was 11 million people. Only 11 million people. NBC Nightly News gets 11 million people, folks. That's it. And they're not even up against anything yet. They're also getting hammered for half-empty stadiums. Thursday night football gave football fans something of a surprise. San Francisco hosted the Los Angeles Rams at Levi Stadium in a barn burner of a football game, ending with an enthralling fourth quarter by the Niners before falling just short of completing the comeback. The Rams' 41-39 victory was a shootout. Some of the most exciting Thursday night football fans have seen in recent memory, featuring successful onside kick attempt, late turnovers, and backdoor cover that sent gamblers home either elated or furious. There was even an uptick in TV viewership. Slightly. But the game also served as a reminder of one of the NFL's recent woes. Poor attendance. Shots of the stadium like the ones above made clear that attendance was dismal. Despite claims that attendance was 70,000, anyone eyes could see the stadium was largely empty with even some of the best seats in the lower bowl left untaken. As SF Gate noted, tickets were available secondary markets for just $14, which we said in the last podcast is two fucking pretzels. Two pretzels. Two pretzels. But the fucking place was sold out for USC Texas. Sold out. As stated, 11.6 million people watched Sunday night football last night. While the media said it was capped by a night of protest. Reality is, they're breaking their own rules to do this. This is another stat. From page A62 to 63 of the league's game operation manual, the national anthem must be played prior to any every NFL game and all players must be on the sideline for the national anthem. During the national anthem, players on the field and bench area should stand at attention, face the flag, hold helmets in their left hand, and refrain from talking. The home team should ensure that the American flag is in good condition, should be pointed out to the players, blah, blah. Failure to be on the field by the star of the National Anthem may result in discipline such as fines, suspension, and or forfeiture of draft choices for violation of the above, including first offenses. That's their goddamn rule book. 
That's the rules. Wall Street Journal editorial board. The politicization of everything. Everybody loses. Trump NFL brawl. Not going to read it. It's pretty much to the point. And during all of this, things you'll never hear, Brandon Marshall was dropped by Air Academy Federal Credit Union last fucking year for protesting. Others are to follow. You mark my words. But the most important stats I can leave you with After I rant just for a few more seconds, if you'll oblige me, is these stats about what BLM is pushing down your neck. <clears throat> I'm going to play an article that we covered ages ago on the podcast when this stuff first started breaking out. This was the big deal, and everybody was talking about it, and it was so uber important, we needed to all respect the fact that black men were getting hunted down and killed in our country. It was happening all the time. And if you didn't believe that, you were just a goddamn sexist, racist piece of fucking shit. And it was from Heather McDonald, who's going to break down every statistic by every survey that's conducted by black people, white people, pink people, fucking zebra-coated people, that shows that every stat these dumbasses are talking about is an out-and-out lie. And the most important stat is 135 police officers died last year. 135 police officers died last year. Majority at the hands of African American males. But you didn't hear that. During all this stuff with the NFL, when Dallas was attacked, by a BLM member that we heard about for about a week and then it dropped off the fucking radar. They wanted to do something. Wear a sticker. They were denied by the NFL. Denied. But this one, oh no. We're, we're down with the dog pound. This is the most important thing you could ever want to know about. Ever. This is so important. And you know why it's important, boys and girls? I'll tell you why it's important. It's important because all of this is just a narrative. As I've ranted over and over and over and over, the, the, the reality is they need this narrative to get their people elected. It doesn't have to be true. It doesn't have to be grounded in anything. It's just necessary. And to shut people down, they throw out the you're a racist if you don't get... If I could tell you how many fucking people on ESPN Today got out there, you're just not looking at it because you don't want to look at it. This is so important. But it's a narrative. 
And I wrote this on Twitter. And I'm going to read it. And then I'm going to play Heather McDonald. And I want you to listen to it. Even if you're a resistance member, you need to listen to it. This is from Harvard, Stanford. This isn't from Fox. This isn't from Breibart. This isn't from the Daily fucking Caller. This isn't fucking regurgitator Rush Limbaugh. This is a fucking facts. This is from fucking Washington Post. They're all cited in here. This is the data. This is the facts that you will never hear. And broken in it, as I ranted, as the media, including ESPN, spends all day tripping over themselves to push the liberal narrative that anyone who will not bend the knee is racist. Fact. 70% of NFL players are African American. Let that sit in. 70%. The average salary of the NFL is $1.9 million. $1.9 million. 4% of all cop shootings are from African Amer- are African Americans. All the shootings in the United States by cops of suspects, only 4% of them. 12% are white people. The flag is not a symbol of police organization. The flag is and anthem are coveted by the armed forces. Fact, dissent was considered racist under Obama. Fact, protests by other than minority were considered racist under Obama. Fact, Alejandro Villanueva standing the national anthem is ignored by the media while they pollute the space with kneeling players. The media ignored the national anthem at sporting events until Colin fucking Kaepernick took a fucking knee. So tell me why this has nothing to do with the flag and soldiers. Tell me again how this is about injustice. Rich black players. This has everything to do with pushing their ideology down America's throat as they do on all holidays and nothing to do with police action. Nothing to do with police action. This has nothing at all to do with the police. This is just pure, fucking, unadulterated, partisan, goddamn politics that are driving this country farther and farther apart. This is a bastion of conservatism. They know it. Majority of liberals don't watch football. They watch lacrosse and fucking soccer. And they just want to ram it down your neck. Stick to the crutch. Black people are treated so poorly in America that how in the living fuck are 70% of NFL athletes African American and the average salary is 1.9 million? If America was so fucked up, so racist, and killing so many African Americans every day, lynching happening all over our country. As Eric Dyson, Al Sharpton, and MSDNC's joy fucking racist read tell you, how in the fuck is the NFL 70%? How in the fuck do these people make $1.9 million? And I ask you one last time, how in the fuck? Don't you know Alejandro Villanueva as a hero right now? But you know the names of all these motherfuckers taking a knee on a false fucking narrative. 100% false. As one meme said it, their little diatribe that one African American is killed every 28 hours is off by 250%. It's made up. And it was all brought to you by the preceding POTUS 
of the United States of America. So as you listen all week, how Trump's a fucking piece of shit for speaking out and saying things that the majority of NFL fans already are saying. I want you to remember on a cold day about three years ago, as I sat in a fucking medical clinic trying to get seen, the President of the United States stood on a fucking pulpit and he told the American people to take to the street and their house co coats and slippers and protest everything. Just a short while later, BLM was spawned. All based on lies. Listen to the stats, my friends. Take these stats to your liberal friends. Take them to Twitter. Take it to Facebook, as I did on my personal. On the other side, we'll go into the MRC Media Awards. Does the truth matter? Not to groups like Black Lives Matter. That's tragic for many reasons, not the least of which is that black lives are being lost as a result. When it comes to the subject of American police, blacks, and the deadly use of force, here is what we know. A recent deadly force study by Washington State University researcher Lois James found that police officers were less likely to shoot unarmed black suspects than unarmed white or Hispanic ones in simulated threat scenarios. Harvard economics professor Roland Fryer analyzed more than 1,000 officer-involved shootings across the country. He concluded that there is zero evidence of racial bias in police shootings. In Houston, he found that blacks were 24% less likely than whites to be shot by officers, even though the suspects were armed or violent. Does the truth matter? An analysis of the Washington Post's police shooting database and of federal crime statistics reveals that fully 12% of all whites and Hispanics who die of homicide are killed by cops. By contrast, only 4% of black homicide victims are killed by cops. But isn't it a sign of bias that blacks make up 26% of police shooting victims, but only 13% of the national population? It is not, and common sense suggests why. Police shootings occur more frequently where officers confront armed or violently resisting suspects. Those suspects are disproportionately black. According to the most recent study by the Department of Justice, although blacks were only about 15% of the population in the 75 largest counties in the U.S., they were charged with 62% of all robberies, 57% of murders, and 45% of assaults. In New York City, Blacks commit over three-quarters of all shootings, though they are only 23% of the city's population. Whites, by contrast, commit under 2% of all shootings in the city, though they are 34% of the population. New York's crime disparities are repeated in virtually every racially diverse city in America. The real problem facing inner-city black communities today is not the police, but criminals. In 2014, over 6,000 blacks were murdered, more than all white and Hispanic homicide victims combined. Who is killing them? Not the police and not white civilians, but other blacks. In fact, a police officer is 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black male 
than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a police officer. If the police ended all use of lethal force tomorrow, it would have a negligible impact on the black death by homicide rate. In Chicago, through just the first six and a half months of 2016, over 2,300 people were shot. That's a shooting an hour during some weekends. The vast majority of the victims were black. During the same period, the Chicago police shot 12 people, all armed and dangerous. That's one half of 1% of all shootings. Does the truth matter? If it does, here's a truth worth pondering. There is no government agency more dedicated to the proposition that black lives matter than the police. The proactive policing revolution that began in the mid-1990s has dramatically brought down the inner city murder rate and saved tens of thousands of black lives. Unfortunately, that crime decline is now in jeopardy. As I write in my book, The War on Cops, police officers are backing off of proactive policing in black neighborhoods thanks to the false narrative that police officers are infected with homicidal bias. As a result, violent crime is going up. In cities with large black populations, homicides in 2015 rose anywhere from 54% in Washington, D.C., to 90% in Cleveland. Overall, in the nation's 56 largest cities, homicides in 2015 rose 17%, a nearly unprecedented one-year spike. Many law-abiding residents of high-crime areas beg the police to maintain order, precisely the type of policing that the ACLU, progressive politicians, and the Obama Justice Department denounce as racist. This is tragic because when the police refrain from proactive policing, black lives are lost. Lost because of a myth. The best research and data reach this conclusion. There is no evidence that police are killing blacks just because they're black. You now have the truth. Does it matter? I'm Heather McDonald of the Manhattan Institute for Prager University. To subscribe. Am I the meanest? Am I the prettiest? Am I the baddest mofo low down around this town? But who am I? Who am I? I can't hear you. Tony Reed of Woodlawn. All right, this is supposed to be a fun section, but it's clearly not going to be after the preceding segment that has still got me so goddamn angry. I'm going to take like six blood pressure medicines and drink some Insure so my heart doesn't pop like a tick. Each year, the MRC, which is the Media Research Center, it's a conservative watchdog group, the Media Matters is the liberal watchdog group, does a presentation. Some of this is tongue-in-cheek. Some of it's really great. But there are three categories we're going to cover. We're going to go through everything like we did last time. The first one I'm going to play is the quote of the year. It was so bad this year with all the Trump derangement syndrome that they pretty much quoted every fucking person on the planet. And I'm going to edit out the narration from the gala and just play the sound bites and talk on the other side. Our fourth award this year is going to be a little bit different. There won't be any voting because there's only one video to show and therefore only one winner to name. 
was our goal to present the worst examples of Trump hatred in journalism today, but the list of possibilities was simply endless, and it would be unfair to play favorites, really. So we decided to break from tradition. This past year, the entire press corps in America, with a handful of exceptions, the entire press corps in the world has been united in its collective disdain for, horror over, and rage toward the President of the United States. We compiled their cries from the heart into one confused and apoplectic clip. We give you the Trumpocalypse. confirmed that Secretary Clinton has conceded to Donald Trump. Uh, this concession took place in a phone call. It is my high honor to introduce to you the president-elect of the United States of America, Donald Trump. This is it, the end of the presidential race, and uh, it feels like the end of the world. When you walk around our world and you see you, everybody is crying and so upset, and it is the end of their world. It's the end of the world as we know it. No, please, no! Oh, God, no! No! Uh, a night that uh, appears to be absolutely disastrous. Tens of millions of Americans are totally fine with a man who's driven almost purely by racism and sexism and Islamophobia, of hatred of everyone unlike him. I want to throw up. Yeah. It feels like we're trying to avoid the apocalypse and half of the country is voting for the asteroid. Outside of the Civil War, World War II, and including 9-11, this may be the most cataclysmic event the country's ever seen. You have people putting children to bed tonight and they, they're afraid of breakfast. I have Muslim friends who are texting me tonight saying, should I leave the country? This was a white lash against a changing country. It was a white lash against a black president. This is a moral 9-11. Only 9-11 was done to us from the outside and we did this to ourselves. He's not only unfit to be president, He's unfit to be human. In America first. It's a loaded term in American history. It carries with it overtones from the 1930s when an anti-Semitic movement, it's the Jews' fault in Germany. People don't want this kind of leadership. And remember, Joy, in Europe, they have historical memories. They remember what fascism was like. He's such a narcissist. It is possible that he's mentally ill. This is a dangerously, emotionally, and, and mentally unstable individual in the Oval Office who, who is a national security threat and he needs to be removed from office. It's almost like being in, 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 in the ward of a, of a mental hospital. Demagogue, liar, idiot, despot, simpleton, traitor, schmuck, buck passer, puppet, lunatic, toddler, fascist, jerk, schmo, schnook, dope, dipstick, lame brain. These are the rages and the boasts and the madness that we have seen throughout history. Saddam Hussein, Mussolini, Fidel Castro, Mao Zedong, Stalin, Pol Pot, Bin Laden, Hitler. This pitiful excuse for a human being is a thug bent on destroying the freedoms of this country as we know them. And God damn it, we are not going to let him do it. Resist. Peace.
Donald J. Trump is now President of the United States. What's amazing, many of those clips were from right after the election, but you can't actually tell that much difference between November of last year and this week, can you? But how do we respond to this? What is the best way to express ourselves? What precisely is the proper language to convey our feelings soberly, thoughtfully, and respectfully? Well, uh, we found the answer on behalf of everyone who voted for President Trump. Roll the tape. Uh, give my... Uh remarks to all of the Trump haters, all of the Hillary Clinton supporters, all of the people that said uh, that my Trump was going to lose. So I say to you this morning, the day after the election, speaks for many. So, who should we designate as the winner of the Trumpocalypse Award? There's no one person who deserves platinum recognition. It's the whole lot of them. Everyone in that video and so many hundreds more who despise everything about this president. So, we've named the winner, which is every single person we don't like in the liberal media. being an award, we do require an acceptor, and we asked ourselves, after President Trump himself, who in Trump world is most despised by the press? It's actually a tough competition. There are plenty of possibilities. But there's one who was hated by the press before Trump, and now that he's a free agent, the hostilities will get even more intense, which is just fine by him. Steve Bannon was unable to join us tonight. After being with Media Research Center at a separate function last night, an unforeseen situation made it impossible for him to be here. Some of some people were lucky enough to get to spend some time with him. But he extends his apologies. In his stead, we have someone in our midst that might deserve the Trumpocalypse Award even more. He's had extensive experience in the political and public policy arenas, including a stint as associate director for uh, associate political director for Ronald Reagan. He's a columnist who has contributed material to the Weekly Standard, the American Spectator, National Review Online, and so many others, including for Newsbusters itself. You caught a glimpse of him in that video we showed you, looking on in a quiet, perplexed disbelief as Van Jones spoke about white lash. And that's where you found him throughout the past year on CNN as a very lonely warrior defending the conservative cause, normally against overwhelming odds, but holding his own every time. Tells you everything you need to know about CNN, that when he had the unmitigated gall to denounce the fascistic tactics of media matters, he was fired. 
If anyone deserves the Trumpocalypse Award, it's this superstar in the conservative movement. He's as humble as he is principled. Our new winner tonight, Mr. Jeffrey Lord. Thank you. On behalf of Van Jones and myself, and Anna Navarro, my friend Anna Navarro, I don't want to leave her out, um, thank you, Brent, and everybody here at the Media Research Center for your relentless support over the years, and particularly the last two. CNN has been an interesting um, experience. Uh, I was generally on a uh, in the beginning, and, and Kaylee McEnany, my friend, is over here. <clears throat> we were generally on on these sort of eight-to-one situations, which demanded some degree of novelty and uh, explaining the Trump world. And I have a news bulletin from the White House tonight that I thought I would let you know about. Uh, you know this whole business with tearing down monuments, et cetera, and I understand now that uh, the folks who run the monuments on the Mall are going to go back to the Jefferson Memorial and add some things to sort of elucidate on history. And I, I wanted you to know the Trump White House is in negotiation about Harriet Tubman replacing Andrew Jackson on the $20 bill. And, and in lieu of history, President Trump is insisting that it says underneath Republican and a woman who loved the Second Amendment. This, I don't know that this is getting any traction, but before he left the White House, Steve Bannon was able to get negotiated one line underneath Harriet Tubman's picture that says www.breitbart.com. <laughs> but I do want to say, just, just a second, what happened to me is nothing. What has been tried in the past with Rush, what they were trying to do recently with Sean Hannity, what Bill O'Reilly said the other day to Laura Ingram, they're going to try and do to you. They will try and do this. The objective is to take every last conservative who has any voice off of television and radio. And those of you in this room are the backbone of that resistance. When you talk about, when you see the word resist, my suggestion is resist the resistance. So I would like to thank everybody here and certainly accept this award. And I would close by pluralizing a, a statement that I learned first in childhood as a child of Massachusetts. My favorite abolitionist, William Lloyd Garrison. And I think it applies to everybody in this room and to our friend Rush Limbaugh, who was a hero of the conservative movement in America. We are in earnest. We will not equivocate. We will not excuse. We will not retreat a single inch, and we will be heard. Thank you very much. We played most of that on the show, and the Trumpocalypse, as they labeled it, was as bad as it gets. The next two is the Obama Gasm Award and the Celebrity Dumbass Award. And as you saw in the previous, I guess I really can't 
edit out the narration because it's interchanged. Last year they did them as short segments. This year it's kind of packaged. So I'll play the package of the next two. Once again, the Obamagasm and the Celebrity Dumbass. Thank you. Thank you very much. For all of you people who did not join in the invocation, I have another verse for you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. There you go, that's your after-dinner prayer. Wasn't that good food? Yeah, that's all right. Thank you. Thank the chefs. Now, we have uh, a little bag here. We have volunteers distributing bags to your tables right now. Some of them already started. Uh, They contain uh, noisemakers. All kinds of stuff in here. Uh, this is fun. I'd say it's from Toys R Us, but they've gone bankrupt. There you go. All right. Those of you who have been here before know that the Marcus of Queensbury rules are not operative in this building on this night. Now, to refresh your memory on the Dishonors Awards rules, after each award is presented tonight, your table will collectively choose its winner and vote. Listen now. You must now select a table captain who will use... This device, right here. Everybody see this device? That's what you will be using. Try to pick a responsible table captain. That would be a woman. Quiet now. Quiet, please. Thank you. And you use that to register your table vote for each award. So take a few moments to choose your table captain. Choose your table captain. I like that. Ooh, that works. All right. Now you've also been given one of these lights. I could have used this tonight on my car. It took me an hour to get from Arlington, Virginia, down Constitution Avenue. It's disgusting. We're talking about toll roads now on top of all of that. So now what you do with this, you'll turn it on after you have formally voted each time. You have that? Noisemaker first to vote. Little device there to... To cast your ballot and then the light when you, from your table captain when you have finished voting. Your judges have chosen the finalists for you to consider in each category. They will be presented to you, after which you'll be given 20 seconds, that's 20 seconds, to register your selection via your table captain. You're asked to behave while finalists are being introduced and announced, or not. Frankly, we don't care. Now that said, when it comes time to select the quote of the year... On your sacred honor, you must pledge to demonstrate your best misbehavior because the winner will be decided solely on the quality of disruptive noise. That's right. You've got it right over there. Now, before we begin, we'd like to thank our sponsors this evening. They are listed in your program. One was not cited. And for that oversight, we thought it appropriate to let them show you their own commercial with a hat tip to Jimmy Kimmel. We're United Airlines. You do what we say, when we say, and there won't be a problem. Capiche? If we say you fly, you fly. If not, tough. Give us a problem, and we'll drag your ass off the plane. And if you resist, we'll beat you so badly, you'll be using your own face as a flotation device. United Airlines. you. They don't call it the friendly skies for nothing, folks, let me tell you. 
All right, our first presenter tonight is a mainstay of these awards. He's the kind of guy who can't say no, not like Ado Andy in Oklahoma. When you Thank you very much for one of the older people tonight who remembers that Broadway musical. Can't say no when you invite him to be a presenter. It's never occurred to him that we're just trying to be nice by extending the invitation. We really don't want him to keep coming back. So, yet again, and this introduction is getting so boring, here goes. Chris Plant joined the WMAL team after 17 years at CNN. Can you imagine spending 17 years at CNN? Doesn't that violate the Geneva Conventions against unusual torture? Mm. Chris received the Edward R. Murrow Award from the Radio and Television News Directors Association. They have sued to try to get it back, but he's holding on to it. Chris makes regular appearances on Fox, CNN, MSNBC, but so did O.J. Simpson, so what the heck? <laughs> he raises a bunch of money for charities. A really great guy. He now has a hugely successful radio program syndicated by Westwood One. Now we're kidding about all the digs, of course. He's a huge and beloved friend of ours. And here he is, the ultimate babe magnet next to myself, Chris Plant. Good evening. Well, as usual, this will come as a surprise to people that know me. I've been assigned tonight to present the most obscene Dishonors Award to you. And this year's is called the Last Gasp Obama-gasm Award. Going to that man or woman experiencing the most erotic zen moment at the mere thought of Barakas Husseinus. Obamas. <laughs> Requiring a long, cold shower to calm down afterward and the strategic placement of some frozen ice packs. There was, as you might expect, an endless list of opportunities to honor these journalists, I'm making quotation marks with my fingers, who lined up to bid a terribly fond farewell to their hero. Barack Obama, and to thank him for eight years of doing his level best to destroy this country. Tonight we give you three from which to choose, which is very nice grammar. Our first finalist from CBS News, there I go again. This is how CBS News correspondent Dean Reynolds reviewed the Obama presidency on January 10th. I know it's probably just how you see it, too. Or maybe not. And if not, I suspect you'll probably let us know. He was the embodiment of hope and the personification of change eight years ago. I brought Hussein Obama to solemnly swear. A black man was in the White House. We are done. He realized the progressive dream of national health insurance and 20 million uninsured now have coverage. He opened the door to Cuba, banned torture, confronted climate change, recognized same-sex marriage, gave children of the undocumented hope, and he was a model of rectitude during his two terms in the White House. I think everybody's favorite word in that is rectitude, right? 
Our second offering for the last GASP Obamagasm Award comes courtesy of CNN, my alma mater. Something tells me it won't be the last we hear of CNN tonight. And its resident so-called presidential historian, Douglas Brinkley. On January 19th, our esteemed presidential historian weighed in with his historical perspective, God Help History. It's very hard to set the Barack Obama standard. In my mind, he's like Dwight Eisenhower. He's almost unimpeachable. He is, he is governed with such honesty and integrity. And he's not only leaving with that 60% we keep talking, but a growing reputation. And the legacy of having eight scandal-free years is going to look larger and larger in history. But when you write, rank presidents on ethical standards, Barack Obama's the highest. He's up there with some of our, our really great American leaders. It's not his fault they were holding his family hostage at that time, and he was, he was being forced to read that script. Our third and final nominee tonight in this category is MSNBC's very own, anybody? Stop the hammering, stop the hammering, Lawrence O'Donnell. Don't call him Larry, he hates that. And I think forever he should be known as Lawrence Stop the Hammering O'Donnell. Stop the hammering. Stop. There is no hammering, Larry. His declaration on November 10th pretty much says it all, short, sweet, and to the pointless. President Obama is the most noble man who has ever lived in the White House, and he proved that again today. Barack Obama is the most noble man that has ever lived in the White House. He kind of rushed through it a little bit, but that's what he meant to say. There you have it, the Obamagasm. And now it's up to you to rate the best Obamagasm. You have 20 seconds, not to rush you, starting right, starting right, right now-ish. Should it be CBS News's Dean Reynolds, who thinks that Obama is the embodiment of hope and the very model of rectitude? Should it be Douglas Brinkley, CNN's token historian who rates Obama as the most ethical president in history? Lois Lerner, assassinating American citizens overseas. Lawrence Donnell, and who cares what he thinks, who called Barack Obama the most noble man who ever lived in the White House. Somebody calling a cop? <laughs> wow. Holy smoke. Boy, Dean Reynolds is having an embarrassing night, isn't he? Well, and uh, Cal, your, vo your votes are in. Time are is up. I see all the lights flashing and all of this good stuff. Yeah, these are, uh, these are almost as close as the last election. <laughs> they, they are. Uh, yeah. Except uh, for Dean Reynolds. He's, got, he's the Bernie Sanders uh, of this competition. Well, I, I knew his dad, Frank. Uh, yeah. He was a good, he was a real Yeah, yeah it's yeah. true. His father was well, Frank Well, number Reynolds. three. Number three. Number three. Coming in, Reynolds. number three. Dean Reynolds yeah. with a mere 4% 4 of the vote. 4%. Yeah. And, uh, and number, uh, number two. Number two was. Well, uh, wait, hang on a second because the, the tally just changed. It Do you did. see that? Is somebody stuffing the back? Wait a minute. So we, we've got some corruption 
going. Are there Democrats behind the uh, screen here? Because we're going to have to flip-flop that, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to go with uh, no, number... Number three is really number two. Right, exactly. Right. Number three is really number two. So coming in second and not winning tonight, I'm a little surprised, is Lawrence O'Donnell of MSNBC with 47% of the vote. It's got to be a letdown for a lot of people. And with 49% of the vote is Douglas Brinkley of CNN, a presidential historian. Stop the hammering! Stop the hammering! I assume everybody's seen that video, right? Yeah. It's, it's got to have been anywhere. Our winner was, of course, not invited to appear tonight, nor would they have attended had they been invited. I'm quite sure they're busy undermining our nation. Instead, we invited someone who really does deserve your applause. He may not be known to many people in the grassroots, but in the conservative movement, He's known by everyone. As president of CRC Public Relations for almost 30 years because he's very old. <laughs> and I've known him, I think, for all 30 of these years. He's been our movement's strategic communications genius. He's worked with everyone from presidential candidates to senators to governors, top shelf established public policy organizations, and to new emerging organizations. But that's not what distinguishes our awardee. It's the work he's done pro bono. You do pro bono work? For the conservative movement, literally for decades, helping countless, and I mean countless, candidates, office holders, public policy groups, religious organizations, grassroots leaders. There's simply no way to fully express the contributions my friend has made to the conservative cause over the years. He demands only one thing in return, and that is that they be conservatives. Seems reasonable. We might call him the unknown and unsung hero of the conservative movement, except in this room we all know who he, know who he is, and tonight we want to sing his praises, my friend, Mr. Greg Mueller. surprised as everyone else. Well, thanks, Chris. Wasn't supposed to mention pro bono and any of that. But, uh, I, when I first uh, talked to Brent about this, I was a little bit surprised. I said, I don't understand what an Obamagasm award is. Now, now that I saw it, I realize I've probably experienced it many times. Um, you know, I do a lot of work in the media. Um, talk to media people every day and you know the results of the MRC based on what I do because I can't tell you over the 30 years that I've worked with the MRC and Brent how many reporters, maybe some in this room, we won't name names, have emailed me before there was email, called me, now texted, Twitter direct messaged me saying, did you see my story today? Can you get the MRC and Bozell off my back? So you know you're having an impact. Um, you know, I really want to just take a moment as this is the, the first award of the night and just say something rather serious. It's in my heart. Uh, I've known Brent and the MRC for 30 years. Actually, I started at the MRC before it was the Media Research Center. Uh, National Conservative Foundation had a publication called Newswatch, and Brent Baker and, and Brent Bozell hired me 
in those years to, to research and really put me on the career path I've had. I've been so blessed. I just, Brent, want to thank you for everything you've done, and Brent Baker as well and his team, all you've done for me personally, but most importantly, the conservative movement. People don't realize how much this man does for the conservative movement that doesn't get spoken about. And I just want to thank you. I feel very blessed to be a part of this tonight. Thank you. And maybe we can retire this award. What do you say we retire this award? Obama's gone. Thank you, thank you very much. I'm going to have to admit that there's a direct correlation between statements made by liberal Hollywood celebrities and their ratings on my extraordinarily successful nationally syndicated radio show. <laughs> that and my humbleness. I see myself as only the humble conduit of their brilliant pronouncements. They, of course, speak for themselves all too frequently. These celebrities would like America to know just how sophisticated, tolerant, selfless, humble, and gentle they truly are. But then they open their mouths and they reveal to America what morons they truly are. It's in their honor that we present our second Dishonors Award tonight, the 2017 Kathy Griffin Celebrity Dumbass Award. This is probably the greatest honor of her life, certainly from this point forward. And honestly, as you might expect, we had so many options, so many selections from which to choose that our judges spent months combing through the, the contributions, and they chose well. For this award, we have four finalists. Four. Our first selection for you is a regular at these awards because... He regularly, of course, makes an ass of himself. Why, oh why, do Hollywood celebrities believe themselves to be international geopolitical experts? Climatologists, a whole range of other areas of expertise. We suspect that Bill Maher probably can't find Syria on a world map. But by gosh and by golly, he sure does know what's causing the war in that country. This is how Bill Maher explained it last April 21st, and it turns out that it's not what you might have thought. The Syrian problem started with climate change. It did. 75% of Syrian farms failed. A million and a half people migrated to the cities. That's where it began. And by the way, these people who are starving, which is, you know, whether you're bombed or you're sarin gassed or you're starving, death is death. But, uh, I mean, we talk about Assad gassing people. We're gassing them, too. We're just doing it slower with CO2. Much more cruel. We're much more cruel than Assad. We do it much more slowly. I think you might have just gassed a bunch of people to death with CO2 right there. <laughs> the second finalist tonight is one Megan Mullally. Megan, Megan, Megan Mullally. Megan Mullally. I'd like to see Tom Brokaw try to pronounce that. Libyan leader Megan Mullally, whoever she is. On December 14th, she was on the CBS Late Show with Stephen Colbert. He's a gem these days, isn't he? And wanted the world to know what it was like to meet President Barack Obama one last time before he left the White House and ascended. 
we got to meet President Obama, uh-huh. and he was charming and amazing. And then I said, "Listen, um, I I really love you, and we don't want you to go." And <laughs> and he gave me a hug, and he said, "We're not going anywhere." Oh, and he walked out the door, and I mean, I'm not talking about like the cute single tear. I mean, burst into wrenching sobs, doubled over. I mean, that's the greatest president and first lady in any of our lifetimes. <laughs> And as kind of a proof of purchase seal for that meeting, she kept the blue gap dress. The third finalist for our 2017 Kathy Griffin select... That was not in the teleprompter. Third and finalist 2017 Kathy Griffin Celebrity Dumbass Award goes to a lady, using the term quite loosely here, who had a different read on President Donald Trump as he took office... Here's only one small part of the unhinged, insane Ashley Judd's performance at the Women's March here in Washington on January 21st. I am a nasty woman. I'm not as nasty as a man who looks like he bathes in Cheeto dust. A man whose words are a diss track to America. Electoral college sanctioned hate speech contaminating this national anthem. I am not as nasty as a swastika painted on a pride flag. And I didn't know devils could be resurrected, but I feel Hitler in these streets. A mustache traded for a toupee. Nazis renamed the cabinet. I don't know if everyone knows this, but she's also Maxine Waters' speechwriter. She has many charms, not in evidence here. The final selection for your consideration comes from that celebrity who had a solution, speaking of Hitler, for Donald Trump. Listen carefully because Donnie Jet Depp tends to mumble and chew on his tongue and he's got some issues. So you're going to have to listen very carefully or else you'll miss what this genius had to say. Here's his proposed solution, if you will, to the Trump election presented on June 22nd to an audience that was arguably as brain-dead as he is. Listen carefully now. Can you get any Trump here? I think he needs help. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? <laughs> I want to clarify, I'm not an actor. <laughs> I lie for a living. <laughs> However, it's been a while. And maybe it's time. Fuel the love. Let's take a moment to bask in the love, shall we? 
the party of love. Well, people, it's uh, up to you to decide the 2017 winner of the Kathy Griffin Celebrity Dumbass Award. Will it be number one, Bill Maher, Syrian war expert and climatologist? Number two, Michael Malloy, whoever she is. I think she's an actress of some repute. Will it be number three, Ashley Juggs, America's sweetheart on LSD? Or number four, Johnny, I really need to get off of the drug regimen that I'm on, Depp. Cal Thomas. Out of his depth. Out of his depth. <laughs> we can join in a chorus of springtime for Hitler, maybe, while we're here. Shall we? Yeah, well, uh, do you know all the words? Uh, most of them. Well, look at this. Looks like a police convention. Wow. Man. All right. It's like Saturday night in Chicago. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> South side, anyway. Hello. Kind of pretty, actually. You know? All right, the numbers All right. are coming in. All right, we, we don't have, have percentages. Though. Well, not yet, but we're getting. Oh, there we go. Yeah, Ditchville, not. Oh, okay. Ditchville. Wait a minute. We're going to have to. Oh, uh, wow. I see. This is a big one. Now I see how it's working. Yes, okay. Yes. Wow. All right, that is. I just want to say, Cal and I just observed from up here. Uh, looking out over the room, uh, it looks like Chicago on a Saturday night with all these right. lights flashing. Absolutely right. Yeah. Southside. All right. So there are no bodies being dragged away. Number four is your most unpronounceable name. Number four is, as uh, Tom Brokaw would say, Megamoli. Yep. Megamoli. Yep. Number four, with only 1% of the vote. I think that's really because nobody knows who she is, don't Probably you? so, yeah. Don't you think? Yep. Um... And um, next, number three, is Johnny Depp. Has everybody stopped going to his movie, too, with only 7% of the vote? And it's because we have something of a landslide tonight. And Bill Maher, who usually wins something Mm -hmm. at these dinners, Bill Maher uh, coming in second with 23% of the vote. And winner, really, by landslide, was the clinically unhinged and probably sincerely dangerous... Ashley Judd, with 69% of the vote, which is Bill Clinton's favorite number. Yes, it is. That's very good. Well done. That is. God bless them all. You know, but really, everyone's a winner here tonight. Um, Sure, only one person can get the award, but... It's an honor just to be named here tonight. To accept the 2017 Kathy Griffin Celebrity Dumbass Award, we present to you the exact opposite of just about anything Hollywood can offer. You've watched her on Fox, on CNN, on MSNBC. You've heard her on the radio absolutely everywhere. She's the author of two national bestsellers. She's addressed governments the world over. She's been knighted in Europe Even Cal Thomas hasn't been knighted. I mean, where else would you be knighted, really? China? She's the founder and chairman of Act for America, the largest grassroots national security organization in the country with more than 750,000 members and 1,000 chapters across our great nation. She's one of the most courageous leaders in the world fighting the war against Islamofascism. Ladies and gentlemen, we give you Mrs. Brigitte Gabriel.
you. What an honor. What an honor. Thank you. I have great news. President Donald Trump is living at the White House while Hillary is at Costco signing books in the milk aisle. <laughs> Health price. She's perfectly nestled between a pallet of toilet paper and bottled water on the other side. And it gets even better. Kathy Griffith is still out of work. Oh, sweet success. No, seriously now, uh, it is such an honor uh, to be here and get this award. And, oh, by the way, um, Chris and I, having to say about what MRC does to the conservative movement, what would we do without the amazing leadership of the MRC and all the amazing work that they do in supporting and protecting and advocating and getting our voices out because God knows the left is trying to drown us. And I'll give you a perfect example. My partner in crime here, Chris Plant and I, we were speaking at the Heritage Foundation at a Benghazi panel. Chris was moderating. And um, a Muslim student asked me about moderate Muslims. What do I think about moderate Muslims? And I answered her that they were irrelevant. Well, wouldn't you know the leftist media twisted the story and blasted me as if I committed a crime? Thank heaven that Brent Moselle and MRC had the video and put the video on their website to set the record straight. As a result, 30 million people have already viewed that video. Thank you, MRC. Did you know that? I didn't know 30 million, no. 30 million so far on all the internet. This is the work that they do. Now, more than ever, this organization is positioned in such an important place and needs our support. And I want to thank you, Brandt, for your leadership, for your vision, for your dedication to the cause, for starting literally a movement to protect the conservatives where we all can lean on you and MRC to support us when we need support, especially today when I'm fighting BuzzFeed. I need your help tomorrow. I'll call you. But thanks to you all, the supporters and, and who stand behind MRC and make their work possible, because you are not only supporting this organization, but you are supporting the future and policy and the shaping of the future for our country. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. And our last category from their gala was the Lion Brian Dan Rather Award. And I think Brian Williams won this again for the fakest news, I believe is what it is. So let's have an enjoyable listen to that. Okay, our fourth and final selection is once again the man who came under fire, except he didn't come under fire, in Iraq, Brian Williams. He's so good. He's the gift that keeps on giving. It was November 26, and this time our national fake news poster child was covering Fidel Castro's death. He needed to put things in their proper perspective. Note how he analyzes the squalor that is everyday life under a brutal communist dictatorship. And, uh, but it's still one of those nations where you see donkey carts alongside uh, cars, trucks, and buses in downtown Havana because that's exactly what they'd rather have for transportation. Okay, there you have them, our four finalists. 
That is hard to pick, Molly. Our four finalists for the 2017 Dan Rather Award for the Stupidest Analysis. Prepare to consult, argue with, throw punches at your table mates. You have 20 seconds. Boy, that's tough. That's tough. Should I read these now? Yeah, just be glad you'll never show up in one of these. <laughs> nice earrings, by the way. Yeah. All right, folks. All right, here we go. Here we go. Okay. There we go. All right. Okay. Great. So coming in fourth place, he had a really good shot at coming in multiple places because he's in multiple places. Brian Williams for the second entry of, or for the for the first of the Brian Williams mention with one percent of the vote. Coming in third place, Sonny Hostin from the View, who was worried about uh, the white lash. Coming in. Second place, Lucy Kafanov. I thought she had a really strong entry. But overwhelmingly, you all have chosen our noble guy, Brian Williams, with who understands about where donkeys are. With the thoughts you'd be thinking, you could be in Martha Lincoln if you only had a brain. Okay, it is a tragedy that our winner couldn't be with us tonight, except it's not a tragedy because there is someone here we would really like to honor instead. There's a lot to be disappointed with and even disgusted by regarding the performance of so-called conservatives in Congress. We're watching so many who have become charter members of the swamp. One man cannot ever be accused of that. He is perhaps the most principled and courageous conservative in the House of Representatives today. When only in his second term he had the guts to step forward to challenge John Boehner to step down as Speaker. Had he failed, it was political suicide, and he knew it. And against all odds, he succeeded. He was a founder of the Spit and Vinegar House Freedom Caucus, and last year he assumed the mantle of chairmanship there. In that capacity, he's led conservatives, real conservatives, in every major battle on Capitol Hill. He's received numerous awards from many conservative organizations, and tonight we choose to honor him as a conservative hero for the cause of freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, from the 11th District of North Carolina, Congressman Mark Meadows. You know, Alex Baldwin won't get one of these for poor acting, I can tell you. Uh, it is is certainly an honor to be here tonight. Uh, Brian Williams would have been here, but he's flying in a helicopter somewhere over Iraq. And uh, and, and Molly, I, I can tell you that, you know, this is certainly a great evening for the Freedom Caucus. It is undeniable that spit and vinegar is certainly the nicest thing said about the Freedom Caucus in Washington, D.C. So thank you. Uh, but truly, uh, Brent Brozell, this is a great night, a 30th anniversary. Uh, 
That year in 1987, Mikhail Gorbachev was Times Man of the Year. That was when the Democrats hated the Russians before they liked the Russians, and I guess now they've gone back to hating the Russians again. Uh, but as we look at this, one of the, the key moments is that we must stay engaged. And I can tell you, Brent Bozell and MRC and the work that they've done allows us to have a level playing field where real conservatives can speak up and truly know that their voice will be heard. So thank you, uh, MRC, Brent Bozell. Thank you for this great honor. God bless you. Thank you, Congressman. Now, I know this is pretty divisive stuff, but as those that have stayed with the show a long time, and we proved, uh, when I started this in, what, 2016, I believe is when we started, February 2016 is when I started my podcast, there was still Bush 41, or was it 40, yeah, 43, whatever. W, I'm fucking it all up. W, goof reels on MSNBC and NBC. They still had him up. He hadn't been president for over eight years at that point. And they still had him up. They still mocked him mercilessly. If you do a YouTube search of Bush, W, or any conservative, you'll find millions on YouTube. So this is more of a service at making fun of the politicians on the other side. Secondly, the premise of this podcast when it started out, as we can see with every segment I do, and I know it gets tiresome, is analyzing the media. Uh, since Brian Seltzer over there on reliable sources, which is neither reliable or a source, that little man boy started his whole career watching Fox News making fun of it out of his bunker in some liberal college. He now has a TV show on CNN, one of the most powerful name in news. Where he's as biased as any press secretary for any Democratic politician. So considering that almost every day of the week you can tune into any of our mainstream media and watch them dogging conservatives in a vitriolic way and have an entire panels on CNN interchange to each show to repeat the same dogging comments, I don't feel very divisive when I play the fact that these motherfuckers don't objectively look at anything. And considering our first topic, which has angered more than just me, there's no coverage of that anywhere. None. There's no nightly news breaking into fans burning jerseys, giving away season ticket holders, or saying, hashtag boycott the NFL. You can go online and search hashtag boycott the NFL, hashtag take the knee, and I'll guarantee you will find more negative to the conservative side than fuck Trump. So as we close this, the intent was to get the information out, honor a brother in arms who served and fought and showed his respect to the flag, something I truly believe is necessary in any country, you can call it nationalistic, 
I just call it being a good citizen. And more importantly, to break down the media's coverage of this due to their Trump derangement hit syndrome, not covering anything, and hammering home the statistics. The entire take-a-knee BLM is based on a false premise. And I didn't even go to the low-hanging fruit, which is hands up, don't shoot. A lie. An unadulterated lie that was found by the Obama administration and Eric Holder, who is an extreme racist and hates white people. He even came to that conclusion. That's where all this started. Trayvon Martin, who was beating a man's head in the ground, so saith a jury of his peers, integrated jury of his peers. That's where we coined white Hispanic. And as of date, every black shooting we've seen has been overturned in grand juries by a jury of their peer that is integrated that the cops were in self-defense mode. Those statistics by Heather are not from the Daily Caller. They're not from Breitbart. They're not from the KKK. More importantly, Trump himself doesn't even know them. Those are liberals, African-American professors who themselves have had to come to the scientific conclusion that this is all a sham. Lastly, I want to hammer home as I started, the President of the United States should never get in the kiddies pool. He's acting no different than Barack Hussein Obama, sticking his nose where he doesn't belong. He needs to take his Twitter and throw it the fuck away. He needs to grow up and do important people adult shit. But that does not condone or justify what the NFL did this weekend. In closing, closing, if the NFL clearly keeps on this political bent to try to lure the demographic they don't have and alienate the demographic they do have, which is independents and conservatives, red-blooded males who like to go hit people. They better get the fuck off this bandwagon. Or as many a tweeter has said, NFL will stand for no fans. No fans left. No fans left. There'll be none left. I didn't watch the end of my Green Bay Packers come back from win with the Cincinnati Bengals until the last second. I didn't look at my phone. Sork. Down in Georgia, my Viking buddy was telling me, because I'm not watching. It's going to be hard to watch a Packer game when they drafted three people now, two of them tight ends, free agents who are really big into this shit, and one a rookie that came from the University of Washington, which could be no liberal. No more liberal than it is. And they're doing it every time. I will not wear any garb while this is going on, other than Alejandro Villanueva's number 78 jersey shirt. Because if I spend $100 on a jersey from another team, my wife would have scalped me. So I spent 40 And lastly, I asked to be released from my game pass. 
two terse emails. The term of service is that I had seven days to get out of it. Two times I replied, you violated your service with protests, not sports. They don't give a fuck. Sooner or later, the NFL will either get back to playing football and stay out of politics. The media will stop broadcasting games where they spend more time filming the nears than the fucking game. The nears than the person singing the national anthem. The nears, not the flag. The nears, not the people standing with their hand over their heart. The veteran in the stand crying. They'll either do that or they'll lose all their fans. There's plenty to do on a Sunday. Me and my wife will just go junking Sundays now. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. And I'm a lifelong Green Bay Packer fan. I'll watch college ball. Where they play for the love of the game. And they don't make $1.9 million on average. I'm sure the demographics is still about 70% African American. Which still belays the fact And the closing, 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 since I'm dragging this out. If America was so bad, why are so many African Americans playing sports and making millions? If we're so bad. All of you tell your liberal fan, watch Live PD. It comes back in October. You'll see what cops put up with on a daily basis. People driving 120 miles an hour. People with guns. People resisting arrest all the time because they had warrants. And they had one dime bag of weed or a crack rock hitting police. They've shown scenes where cars have wedged between old ladies' cars of black persuasion and almost gave them heart attacks and then get out and hit the cops. And those are 16-year-old, 17-year-old African-American males. We have a generation of African-American males who don't fear the police. They hate the police. That's not the line. The line Obama said they fear the police. They hate the police and keep being militant. This problem will never be fixed. It's not the police. It's a generation of African Americans have been told by a president for eight years, the white man's evil, police are evil, everybody's fucking evil. This is what you get, Democrats. No different than Trump scaring the fuck out of people thinking that terrorists are going to climb out of their goddamn toilet. If you tell people over and over, the police are bad, the police are a bunch of KKK members, you get a generation of kids that believe it. And once we lose social order in our cities, God help us all. We will do a follow-up on this with more crime statistics, since I think it's very important to inform listeners of what's really going on in our country, since the media wants to play the fucking democratic talking points and lies. The predication of lies. As they support BLM. Antifa, the peaceful protesters. But for now, this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send an email about comments or comments in an email to foppodcast at gmail.com, foppodcast at gmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage at foppodcast.com, Fop. 
Podcast.com. There you see feeds for the show, links to our Facebook and email. On the episode release page, you'll see a link to every episode released. And on the blog, you'll see a blog when I do one, which I did today. I did a blog today telling you this would be the show, but I don't think a lot of people read it. Next podcast will be Friday, the 29th of September, Year of Our Lord 2017. I wish you all a good week. Be safe. Give love to your family. Disconnect from your electronic devices and give undivided attention. And once again, take that Heather McDonald video and shove it down everybody's lying neck. As always, take care, my friends, and thanks for listening.